0: Hello, and welcome to Michigan and Other Mayhem, the show about Michigan, murder, mysteries, histories, and other mayhem from around the world. Your hosts are Allie and Jen. Okay, Jen, let's do this thing. Hello. 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 Guess what? What are you doing?
1: That, the, those noises you guys hear are not me. That's the dog. Who's excited to hear your voice.
0: I'm trying to sneak downstairs to get a coffee. (laughs) I was just like, oh, God, I'm so thirsty. I could really do with a coffee right now. Before you answered, I was like, Michael, can I get a coffee? And he didn't hear me. So I'm like, shit, now I got to sneak down. (laughs) (laughs) That's
1: so great. Well, you want me to tell you my story while you uh, get that cup of coffee?
0: Absolutely. Please tell me.
1: All right. Mine's on Amanda Harvey. Okay. And this goes with my whole boyfriend murderer series.
0: You know, honestly, I I understand you got your thing with your murdered boyfriend. Well, boyfriends who murder. And um, I'm all about murderers getting murdered. So I really can't judge.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So I went to 13 Wham News. Okay. Who spoke to Amanda's mother. Who said she was a thirty-five or 34-year-old from Rochester, New York. She was described as smart, funny, and a loving mother of three.
0: Okay. And Amanda
1: relocated to Warren, Michigan about five years before her murder. She moved here with her longtime boyfriend, Eric Fry. And Amanda was murdered on November 29, 2021. Uh. So recent. That's
0: that is very recent.
1: Yeah. M Live reported the police arrived at Amanda and Eric's home after a person who police told Fox 2 Detroit was Eric. And that person had said that they had just killed a woman. So he
0: he's the one that well, well a person calls and says, I just killed a woman?
1: Yep. And the police believed it to be Eric. Okay. When a police arrived, there were clear signs she had been assaulted and had suffered a head trauma. And in the 13 WHAM report where they spoke to Amanda's mother, they stated she said that she was bludgeoned to death with a hammer and was unrecognizable.
0: Oh, my God.
1: Eric Fry was arrested with allegedly killing Amanda and charged him with first-degree homicide. Now, one day prior to finding Amanda deceased, the police were at home. Police were at home. The police weren't at home. The police were at their
0: home. Okay. Someone's (laughs) home. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Um, Of Amanda and Eric to do a uh, wellness check because her friend couldn't get a hold of her. Okay. And it was said that nothing was out of the ordinary and the police left. Now, there was nothing that in the news article that stated that they actually spoke to Amanda or Eric, or they just showed up at the house.
0: Everything looked
1: good and then they left. So I don't know much about that.
0: Okay. So there's the, yeah. Okay. So we don't know what happened when they got there the day before.
1: Right. We don't know if they actually spoke to them. Right. And everything was fine or they just went to the house. It didn't look like it was broken into. So all
0: was well. Okay. Okay.
1: The murder of Amanda was also a few days before the two, Amanda and Eric, were due in court for a domestic violence case she had against Eric. He uh, had been in jail, but shortly before this this murder, he was released from jail without bond. Oof. So and he is due back in court in May next month, May twenty twenty two. Wow. So, so if uh, not really sure, you know, why he was let out, but. But
0: and look what happened. Now she's dead. Right.
1: I, yeah. And it was shortly before the, the
0: trial for it. They should you have know, just kept him in until right. they went all like, the way through.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I don't understand why they didn't do that. And she had children? Yeah, the news article from 13 WHAM where they spoke to Amanda's mother, she said that um, she had three children.
0: Oh, no. But I don't
1: know their ages, or there's nothing about, you know, other than that statement from the mother or anything about the children.
0: Oh, that's terrible. So. I have equally terrible cases oh. to tell you, but... um minor cold cases and you do feel a little bit better that someone didn't get all the way away with it you know what I mean right yeah which I I do like I like to find out that's why I think I like murderers who got murdered because like you thought you got away from it away with it but you actually didn't right (laughs) karma Yeah. yeah so I have two cold cases that were recently solved the first one is, um, oh, wait, let me tell you where I got myself from. So it's ketv.com, iowacoldcases.org, cbsnews.com, alaskapublic.org, and the Gazette. Got, time, got the Gazette.com. Jesus Lord. So Lee Rotatori, she was the oldest of four siblings and the mother with one son and a daughter. And her son lived with his father, Lee's first husband. And Lee kept Rotatory her first married name, although she later remarried for professional reasons. And Lee had earned a bachelor and a master degree at the University of Wisconsin, and she was moving through her career in food services. And in June 1982, Lee Rotatori moved from Nunica, Michigan, to Council Bluffs, Iowa, for a job at the Jenny Edmondson Hospital for a management position. And Lee was amiable and she made friends going boating on Lake Manawa, Mana, yeah, Manawa with her newly acquired co-workers. Lee, who was 32 years old, had been staying at the best western frontier hotel for a week while she waited to, while she basically like looked for a place to live. And after going, going boating with coworkers, Lee stopped at a McDonald's on the way back to her temporary home. And it was literally the last time she was ever seen alive. On Friday, June twenty fifth, 1982, a motel employee found her deceased in room 106. Lee was still wearing her pajamas, lying on her back on the bed in a pool of blood. Lee had died from a single stab wound to the heart. She was murdered around midnight. Detectives were not able to find any sign of forced entry or struggle, and there was basically not a lot of evidence found at the scene, period. Now, the hotel was located between Interstates 29 and 80, meaning the killer could have been a random person who pulled off the interstate, a local, someone who was staying at the hotel, someone who knew Lee. It was just like endless possibilities. And at first, yeah, I know, like one of those, like, oh, it could be anything at this point. Mm -hmm. And at first, police looked at Lee's second husband. Um, They had married in 1978, divorced in 1979, and then remarried in 1981. While Lee was living in Iowa, her husband, Gerald, who goes by Jerry, Nemke stayed living in Michigan, but he remained a suspect because on May 2nd, 1960, Jerry was picked up in Chicago, driving a stolen car. And while in custody, Jerry admitted to being a fugitive from a youth camp. Jerry then admitted to going, I know, right? He's like, I'm a fugitive from a youth camp. He's like, oh, I went on a date with Marilyn Duncan. Well, Marilyn Duncan was a 16-year-old waitress who... Later, Jerry does absolutely confess to sexually assaulting and then beating her to death. Jerry's first trial, in which he was found guilty, was overturned by the Illinois Supreme Court, and it was less than two years after his trial uh, that they concluded that the preliminary hearing was not concluded properly, so they decided he could get a retrial because it wasn't done correctly. Jerry was found guilty a second time, and he was sentenced to 75 years. For Marilyn's murder, but he was out by the late 70s. Despite this, Jerry does, you know, and did have a solid alibi in Michigan the night of his wife's murder. There weren't any other suspects. A reward was offered trying to further the case, but like still no information, nothing comes forward. In 2001, items from the scene were gone over and there was male DNA collected, but no matches were found in state or federal databases to the DNA. In 2011, a council's bluff detective named Steve Andrews began looking to the case, and he originally tried matching DNA to people he thought might be a suspect, like known assaulters in the area, people who were on the Best Western registry, you know, so he starts to try to go through that. Nothing. 2018, police captain Todd Weedham saw the case of the Golden State Killer solved through genealogical forensics. So he works to get the money together because we don't allocate money for that in Michigan. So he works, he gets the money together. And by April 2019, they had sent a DNA sample from the scene to Parabon Nanolabs. And Parabon had created a profile and they compared it to submissions at family genealogical sites. Still no immediate match. By March of 2020... The police captain received an email from 20-year-old Eric Schubert who goes to college in Pennsylvania and he has an interest in geneal- genealogy and history. Eric had previously worked with law enforcement agencies since he was 18 helping with cold cases and he wanted to know if they had any cold cases that could be worked on. And they're like oh. I heard about him. What you about that kid? He actually yeah. does he actually does help this out. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So after vetting him and drawing up legal paperwork, Eric begins looking at Lee Rotatori's case. Eric begins to narrow down a list of subjects with officers asking people to submit their DNA, like try this, try that. Most people are literally happy to comply, and he is narrowing down, narrowing down. Eric's working on tracking the DNA for two years, and then one day, a person who hadn't yet been contacted submits their DNA to Paravon. So it's someone like not even on the radar yet. The system flags the DNA pattern literally within the same hour that Eric flags it and says, so like the computer and this kid flag it at the same time. And they're like, I think this is like the key to everything. The suspect list now gets whittled down to two brothers. So based on the men's ages at the time of the crime, it left only one brother capable of Lee's murder. And that was Thomas O. Freeman from Illinois. Thomas O. Freeman would have been a 35 year old trucker at the time of Lee's murder. And to confirm, they contact Freeman's daughter and she gives a DNA sample for comparison and it's a definite match. So, like, oh yeah, this is he's the the killer. So, Thomas O. Freeman is dead. He was murdered. He was shot four times in the chest, not long, just weeks after he murders Lee. Oh, yeah. So his body was found in a shallow grave in Illinois, not far from his own home. So Thomas Freeman's killer's never been found, and he has no ties to Iowa. But there is a connection. So police are looking to uh, to whether Lee's husband Jerry, remember Jerry, with the guy with the solid alibi, yeah, and had, and Thomas, if they had any ties together, because after Jerry was released from prison, he lived in Carbondale, Illinois which is about 15 miles from where Thomas Freeman's body was found. I remember Tom, which was in a, just like one city over and mm-hmm. Thomas Freeman's body was found remember, by his house. Oh, So Jerry used to live in Illinois by Thomas Freeman. So now the police are looking into whether or not Jerry could be Thomas Freeman's killer. Guess what though? Right. Dead. Like a trying. Jerry, dead. Dead. <laughs> He died in 2019. So they can't ask Jerry, but they're, they're trying to look through, you know, the case of um, Thomas Freeman to see if they can close the case on him and, and see if it was Jerry. That would be amazing. Wouldn't it? So Lee's siblings, they do appreciate um, having closure for their sister's murder. Um, their parents, Clifford and Gwen, they unfortunately passed away before learning. I mean, Lee's children. And um, they're they really appreciate, you know, having closure. Her parents have passed away. So they mm-hmm. never got to learn who killed their child. But yeah, that is the twist and the turn of the Lee Rotatory case. Isn't that well, crazy that, at the end? Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's crazy. That guy gotta murders her, gets his karma a week or so later.
0: Yeah, a couple well, like maybe three weeks later, four weeks three later.
1: Week, three weeks mm-hmm. three weeks later. Yeah. And then, yeah, it comes all back around. That it
0: might be the guy they thought killed Lee. Couldn't prove it that he killed Lee. No. He killed her killer because he probably set him up. Wow. Yeah.
1: That's an interesting
0: one. Yeah. And this other one uh, caught my attention because I'd seen it on like Forensic Files 48 Hours or whatever. Cold case murders. You know, I kept seeing this case and it's finally solved and I was like, oh shit. So this is about Sophie Sergi. Sophie Sergi was 20 years old. She'd been a student at Alaska, and uh, the student at the University of Alaska Fairbanks. In April of 1993, Sophie wasn't attending the school during that current semester, but she was staying with friends like on dorms and campus, just kind of like moving around. And when Sophie at one point was staying with a friend, they're having a little get together. She goes to leave the room to have a cigarette, And the friend's like, well, why don't you go smoke by these vents in the women's shower room? It's cold outside. That way you don't freeze your ass off. And Sophie's like, yeah, okay. So Sophie's body was found in a bathtub in that community bathroom the next day, April 26, 1993. And then she had been sexually assaulted. I know. Isn't that, wouldn't you, if you were the friend, wouldn't you be like, oh, no, I was like trying to help her out. You know what I mean? I'd feel horrible me too even though it's like not your fault it wouldn't you because it's the fault of the killer right you didn't kill her but you said hey why don't you go to this place and that's where someone found her vulnerable oh just terrifying Mm -hmm. right yeah so she's found the next day april 26 1993 she'd been sexually assaulted shot in the back of the head and stabbed numerous times the dna from the assault was collected from the scene but not yet used by the state of alaska so in 2019 The DNA was used to look through, you know, to look for suspects through the genealogy databases. That leads them to Stephen Downs, who is now 47 and currently living in Auburn, Maine. In 1993, he was a first-year student at school and lived in the dorm where Sophie's body had been found. At the time of the murder, Stephen Downs claimed that he'd been at a party all night with his girlfriend. Stephen's girlfriend at the time, Katie Lee, remembered him going in and out of their dorm room during the party. And sometimes being gone for like long shifts. And Katie knew for sure he wasn't in the room when at one point another student tries to kiss her. And she's like, no, I knew for sure he wasn't in the room because I looked around. You know what I mean? (laughs) Yeah. So the scene wasn't secured right away. And the police department talked about being understaffed. And there were multiple hairs and prints found at the scene. Part of the reason is because she was found in a community bathroom. right? Right. So Stephen Lawyer said, well, that actually means there can be multiple suspects. However, it was Seem, it was Steven Seaman that was found in Sophie's body. Also, I just want to say, you know, I did say she had been shot, and Stephen is a registered gun owner, and he does have those caliber guns and bullets. What um, they weren't able to match anything ballistically because when the bullet struck her skull, it got it was too damaged to to be looked at in a ballistic fashion. So they weren't able to do anything with the ballistics. If you're oh. wondering where that went, so. We're back to the semen. Stephen's defense tried to claim that his that his semen in Sophie's body could have been from consensual sex. But the prosecutor's like, no. Um, we believe that that evidence shows that she was dead at the time of the rape. Semen was only found in her vagina, not on her thighs or in her underwear. And that's because she never stood up after the sex act. You know what I mean? All right. So she was dead, she was laying motionless in the bathtub. That's why the semen's only found inside her body. The prosecution worked to show that the person who committed the rape was also the person who committed the murder. Because then the defense was like, well, that meant, okay, then you could say that he raped her. That doesn't mean he murdered her. And they're like, no, we think the same guy did both. You know what I mean? We don't think one dude raped her, left the room, and another dude walked in and kills her. So Stephen Down was found guilty of Sophie's rape and murder February of 2022 by a jury of his peers. The sentencing trial is set for September of 2022. So we don't know yet what's gonna happen to him, but he was found guilty.
1: I think it's so ridiculous. I mean, there, he's his defense attorney and all, but oh. give me a oh, break. Yeah. So yeah, there was a, uh, you know, he had sex with her. It was consensual in a bathroom. In a community and, you know, bathroom. In a community bathroom, and then somebody came in after him immediately yeah. because she didn't get up.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and then that person killed her, and it could have been anybody because there were other prints and hairs at the scene. <laughs> oh, geez. But it's like, yeah, she's in a community bathroom, and they and the police were open about the fact that the scene wasn't immediately secured properly. You know what I mean? The police didn't immediately arrive. People had gone in and out. At one point, like environmental services tried to come in and block the area off. So they're like, could have been, you know, hairs from them. And they're like, no, no, let's just look at it. Let's look at one of the important things. You know what I mean? The semen. The right. I, why didn't he say if it was consensual? Why didn't he say at the time I had consensual sex with sex with her? Why did he act like he'd never seen her? You know?
1: Right. Oh, yeah. um, I feel so bad for her friend.
0: Oh, God. The I, guilt it, you must carry, even though it is yes. not your fault.
1: Yeah. Right. I just, yeah. 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 I mean, who
0: knows that he wouldn't have found her outside? You know what I mean? Or, or when she was even walking by or whatever. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Oh, all right. Sorry to end on that like bummer, but let's just say everybody got caught.
1: Yeah. Everybody got caught.
0: Yeah. And that's, that's the good one. Now, I will admit that the next one I'm going to do is going to be kind of a like a mishmash. It is going to be like, Yeah, just some different stuff. And it is going to involve a poisoner who poisoned people back in the 1800s, late 1800s, early 1900s in Michigan. And she does poison some children and babies and kills Mm. them. But I will not go over that. I'll just kind of say that they died, that so many people died under her care. And I will reference a book. If you do want to know the details, I ain't giving it to you. (laughs) <laughs> right. yeah it ain't gonna be me but if you want to know who did it um I'll, I'll tell you
1: well and i'm coming to the table with more boyfriends who killed because there's more
0: okay and i accept that i, accept I that. plan on finding them all really i keep i feel i'm morbidly delighted about murdered murderers so you're gonna probably get more of them too <laughs> i tried to pass one of these off today as a cold case <laughs> but he got murdered <laughs> <laughs> uh, all, all right. right until Jen, next time. Later. Yeah, I'll talk all to right. you later. Bye. <laughs>